Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Inspiring Ideas. I am Madhu and my co-host is Abhinav Raji. We are lifelong learners and wanted to unearth the secret sauce of successful people across the globe and package it up to the community. We firmly believe each episode will inspire you to find your passion and follow your dreams. Our guest today is the National Head of Engagement at C2 Angels. He's also an entrepreneur, a TV presenter, a podcast host, wedding singer, and add to the list, a mentor as well. He's worked extensively in sales, marketing, digital startups, and corporates. He's built and grown several businesses, both as an employee and as an owner and a founder. This Inspiring Idea podcast is for anyone who wants to become an entrepreneur, but not sure how to build a successful startup. Well, you'll get all your answers today. We are so excited to have Brendan Burns in our show. Welcome, Brendan. How are you going today? I'm good. Thank you, Abhi and Madhu. Great to be here. Absolutely. I have to start with this. Uh, To be honest, I remember it was like November, December 2019. And I reached out to you for a volunteering work on content writing because I wanted to learn the tricks on how to write. Right. And, uh, you know, I must admit I was very nervous because you are a superstar already. And, (laughs) and, and, And I'm not joking. You are already a superstar. And I did not even expect a reply from you. And I got a reply almost instantly. And then we made a very strong connections. And then the friendship really blossoms well. And I was telling Abhi, mate, there is every chance, and this guy is a professional podcaster, there's every chance that in our episode, we might get interviewed rather than we interviewing him. Yeah. <laughs> so such, <laughs> such is the presence of Brandon Burns, so, uh, which, is, which is quite awesome because you generally radiate a lot of energy, positivity, all that, right? So uh, how are you so yeah. magnetic and how did you become a power collaborator? Yeah, great question. Oh, and look, to give the um, listener and the viewer of your show and episode some context, um, Madhu, you're spot on there. So you reached out to me and made an overture, I think, over 12 months ago. And when we were working on another project, I had a real need for around four to five people to assist with content writing of our podcast episodes. And um, the work you did was brilliant, mate. And you continue to do that at the new role in business I'm in. So um, it's been fantastic. To answer your question around what I think would make me so magnetic, I don't want to sound uh, arrogant here, but my my background as a child was in performing. So when I was um, 15, I stayed with a host family in Melbourne and I filmed Mm. a television show on Channel 10 with 17 other children for six months. And we had a a tutor on set. So we had a classroom set up on the lot and then we'd film our episodes during the day and then we'd come home on the weekends. And so from a really early age, even before that, I'd had a lot of exposure to performing in a live environment, both through singing and, and acting and and being in front of an audience. And I really do think that that's contributed to my ability to attempt to resonate with as many different types of people as possible. But one thing I I learned um, in business was the concept of assuming rapport. So Mm. everyone talks about how we we try to build rapport and we do that um, in a frictionless manner online, on LinkedIn Mm. and direct message. But Mm. we also have to do it in person or a little less so now, but it's still a very important part of building relationships. Yeah. And I learned pretty quickly that rather than wanting to try and build rapport with someone, I would just assume that we have it already. Yeah. And it's been amazing how having that change in mindset and assuming that you're going to get along with someone before you do 
Yeah. It's amazing how it puts you in a frame of mind yeah. that actually gets you to having rapport a lot, a lot easier than you would yeah. anticipate. And I, I, to me, it's exactly, uh, I mean, I completely agree with you. To me, it's exactly uh, the difference between making a rapport and making a connection. Rapport is mm-hmm. just the first level and making a connection is when you are so empathetic with that person or individual. You're going to work on and accept that individual as your your teammate, you're going to work with him for say five years, 10 years together. And how are you going to react? And it's just like a family. I, yeah. I quite like what you're saying there. And what first, first, be- first, I was just going to say one other thing there is first step there is obviously you gravitate to people that are like you and you'll assume rapport and it'll work. The next challenge I've faced and a lot of other people will face is what about when you meet someone that's not like you mm. and you can't get that rapport initially? How mm. do you then overcome understanding how to build it with someone that might take a little longer. Uh, and that's, that's, that's always been a challenge for me and something I've had to really um, default to listening. Yeah, that, that's person. a good difference that you're making uh, in terms of uh, people that you wanted to work versus people who normally not natural in terms of working with you. So how do you have any suggestions for the audience and listeners here for how to improve their collaborating skills and networking skills? I know some, for some people that it's, it's they're introverts and for some people they're total extroverts and they, they're so magnetic, like, you know, like you on many people. Yep. So how, how yeah. do you, how do you give a general advice for people across all cohorts? Yeah. Well, I mean, first piece of advice would be, it's not for everyone, but if, you have entertained a sales role or if someone has been in a sales environment, mm. that's probably the quickest and um, the most effective way to learn how to handle building a relationship with someone that doesn't necessarily want to have one initially. Mm. <laughs> it's a mm. bit like dating, Madhu. You know, just because <laughs> the girl says no on the first date doesn't mean doesn't it's mean over. It's a no. <laughs> mm. but be- I get it. Beyond that, yeah. be- beyond that, I would say that it goes without saying that if you were to make it about them, so I know that's a broad statement, you know, making everything about the other person instead of talking about yourself. Yeah. But really, really listening intently at the beginning of the interaction. And I think, look, I'm not an expert, but if you were to look into it, there's probably four key personality types that exist in the world, mm-hmm. um, excluding some other categories that are a bit out there. Um, and they will have tells and things about them that um, attract them to when they interact with someone. Yeah. Um, and so it's more so just about listening uh, to them, but then listening to yourself around how you begin to interact differently. But mm. it's a challenge. Like I, I don't um, cut through with everyone. I know mm. that, you know, but um, the important thing is when building a relationship with someone that it's a bit of a challenge, you don't give up. So yeah. that plays into the concept we talked about around you gravitate to people you like and that are similar yeah. to you, yeah. but you have to develop the ability to be able to do that with people who aren't necessarily similar to you. Mm. And the important thing is to have a bit of resilience and not give up. So keep, keep, keep at it, keep trying um, and just showing up and being present and showing that you're willing to make that effort is quite often the difference between it actually falling into place in the beautiful, relationship. Beautiful, working. beautiful. Excellent. Yeah, man. Excellent. I'm ranting again, mate. I told you before this episode, you've got to ah, stop nah, me. Nah, 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 because you, nah, nah. <laughs> these are gold nuggets, buddy. These are gold nuggets. Trust me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So, Brandon, you have a lot of experience working with corporates and entrepreneurs. Can you walk us through a typical day in your life working at C2 Angels? Yeah, sure. Well, um, can, I, can I give you a day in the life um, where it begins at home before I get to C2 Angels? Is absolutely, that all right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> love it. Go for it. <laughs> Just to give context, because um, having had a young family, which I'm sure you guys can relate to, um, it's 
forced me to develop an appreciation and a better understanding of time management. Now, if my wife was listening to this, she'd still probably say that I'm a bit of a novice when it comes to time management compared to her. But um, I must admit from having a young family and having to you know, navigate incorporating that into the day along with work, it's made me more uh, time efficient. So my day usually starts, well, pre-COVID. So we're recording this during stage three, potentially four restrictions. Mm. But pre-COVID, my day would exist of yeah. getting up at 5am and I'd obviously jump in the shower first thing and then get changed for the day, pack my lunch and head off to work at C2. But during COVID, I've actually been trying to be a bit more present in the morning and helping with the kids. Yeah. So my son, son Baxter, my oldest, has returned to school, which is great. So I try to alternate days being able to take him to school because that's something I couldn't do pre, um, you know, um, pre-COVID restrictions. And then I help out with the breakfast um, for my three daughters because my wife would usually uh, still be getting up because she's got the night shift because our little baby still gets up during the night. Beautiful. So it's a bit of a haze. And as you guys know, when you've got a newborn, it just feels like you've got jet lag 24-7. Yeah. But um, that'll then get me to the office at C2 or virtually by about 7.30 a.m. And then I find personally and, and people in my team are at their most creative at the start of the day. So 7.30 to 8.30 will often be an informal meeting with myself, Alan E. Knight and Peter Terrell, our, our creative kind of mastermind group at C2 Angels. Mm-hmm. And that's the time where we actually spend getting all of our creative juices out and updating and, and finding where we can land on a project that we're incubating. Yep. And then, and then beyond there, it's into meetings with either a creative team that's executing. So we've got a design and development team in-house that actually brings to life the brands of our startups in-house mm-hmm. and also works with external startups that need assistance. Um, and then I'll meet with our Angels wider team. So we've got mm. a sales team that works mm. every day on bringing in capital to fund our startup ventures. Yeah. And then we've got a studio in-house, which we work with. We've got an in-house director, producer, John Velaz, who um, <laughs> mm. executes our podcasts and vodcasts. And then the afternoon's deliberately left open for either up to one interview um, or sales appointment. And mm. the rest of that time spent trying to find at least two 45-minute chunks to spend on progressing projects internally. Yeah. But, but I try to get out of the office around 4 p.m. because I live in Geelong. Yep. So I give myself an hour and a bit to get home yep. um, because I know that once I walk through the door, I can't physically pick up work and do it sporadically yeah. until about 7 p.m. It's, it's go time with uh, bed, bath, yeah. brushing yeah. your teeth. Yeah. You got, you got a multitask there. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. But, well um, done. Mm. Yeah. So I don't want to make myself sound like super dad because my wife does most of the work. But um, it's just amazing how having kids guys has given a better understanding of managing time. Matt, I mean, you're saying that you're not a super dad, but the way that you explained your day, it's definitely yes. sounds like you, you are a super dad indeed. And not yeah. only that, and you are a superstar in the work as well. And, and it's, it's funny because you mentioned uh, the two other guys like Eleni and uh, Peter have written articles about them, but not about you. Maybe this is the one I'm going to write. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's deep dive into the understanding of the entrepreneurship. Um, you know, having listened to your typical day and y- your job is to basically meet entrepreneurs left, right and center. So if there is an opportunity for you to listen to some of their stories, and, you know, for them, it looks like a scary thing. 
for some of them it looks so uncomfortable so for a potential startup founder who has got an idea but what what would your advice to them be in terms of their mindset now let's talk yep. about the mindset so that's that plays a huge part here yeah well i will preface this by saying that australians on the whole are actually quite risk averse they're quite conservative so it's difficult in some regards to really help maintain and build the confidence of an Australian founder, even though we live in a first world country. Yeah. But one thing I've noticed in particular with immigrants to Australia and in particular people who immigrate from India, mm -hmm. um, they're incredibly entrepreneurial already. So I would say mm. that people like yourself, Abhi and others who come here as an entrepreneur from India, we've actually got a lot to learn from because in the mm. short time that I've been exposed to the startup ecosystem, there's a huge healthy immigrant um, contingent of entrepreneurs and almost to the point where you start to realize that it's in their blood. Yeah. And sometimes um, Australian founders, you'd probably say it's not in their blood as much. So there is work and support that has to go in to uh, supporting a founder. Yeah. From, from an advice perspective and what to do first, um, before I joined C2 Angels, I worked at an incubator. Yep. And I would say an absolute first step is to find either a co-working space or a startup incubator that exists close to you yep. and become part of that community because it's there that you'll find most of the things an early stage startup needs in the way of a mentor, a coach, maybe an investor, mm. your first customer, mm. a co-founder, um, and like-minded people. Yep. Um, it is difficult to be able to filter advice because you're going to be hit with so much good and really bad advice. Yeah. Um, but being in a community like that, you'll have people you can bounce off that aren't just trying to sell you something. They're actually in the same position as you. Yeah. Um, so find your tribe, find mm. your like-minded people. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And then, if I was to answer that question around where C2 Angels fits into the equation, yeah. well, because we're a private equity firm and we are in the business of raising capital and raising money for ventures and businesses and developments, we've really taken the responsibility of being the destination that mm. can get more people mm. into raising money for startups. So we looked at the whole ecosystem in Australia yeah. and we thought, where do we fit? Yeah. And because we're, we're really good um, at raising money, we said, well, let's go and let's go and lead the way. Let's take the responsibility mm. to get more people becoming an angel investor because I'll, sh I'll share a stat with you. So in mm -hmm. Australia, the amount of investment made into early stage startups per capita is around 68 cents. In okay. America, it's around $12. Massive so Massive well, yeah, difference. I mean, okay, correct. Yeah, less people here, obviously, and less of a pool, but that just shows that there's a glaring gap. There's a huge problem. There's a big hole when it comes to early stage funding yep. for founders. So we want more people who are considering becoming an angel investor, or maybe even have started on their journey but really don't know how to do it properly, to come and learn how to do it with us because yeah. we've obviously got. We've, we've got the tools and the education to show people how to do it. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're experts at it. We know exactly how it can be done. And we think if we get more people in be becoming angel investors, 
Yeah. That'll solve the problem for founders who start on their journey, Madhu, yeah. and don't know how to get that first round of funding to Beautiful. be able to pay the bills. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I exactly like, I mean, uh, understand your point as well. I've been listening to all your podcasts. I've been writing as well. So the constant message that you and the uh, people that you interview give is around uh, think globally. Now, it's Australia mm-hmm. might be a smaller market. You know, you've got to think globally and, and make an idea that is more uh, servicing the masses, not just for Australia. So the, in that way, you are uh, increasing your chances of getting an investment uh, in your idea and you can make it to fruition as well. So I, I know that you mentioned there's something called um, a checklist or something that you uh, have. Is do, you, do you want to talk about the C2 Angels checklist or do you want to talk about anything in general that people can go into the internet, download and avoid all the noises around the contents that are there in, in the world today? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, right, if you are an aspiring individual who wants to get in the game of startups, and make a difference Mm -hmm. but you don't want to be the founder or maybe you're already a founder and your time is tied up with growing your business but you really have an appreciation for startups and the importance of investing and you want to do a better job of being able to invest in other people's businesses if you want to get into the game and do a better job of investing as an angel um, I would say the best thing you can do is contact C2 Angels. So we're C2Angels.com. And I would book a angel investor discovery call because that's mm-hmm. a that's a 25-minute call which will actually find out, you'll be able to find out yourself if you are matched and, and you're right for being an angel investor or not. Mm. And it's, it's probably a good way to understand if, if it's for you or not because we really don't, focus on the fluffy stuff around getting people together and maybe making an investment here and there and just doing Mm. some networking. You got straight to the point. Yeah. We want people who actually want to get in the game and make a difference because like I said before, in Melbourne alone, there's a lack of around $40 million every year that just doesn't exist that needs to, Mm. to fund startups. Now, obviously we've all heard of Afterpay and Canva and Atlassian but where's the next one coming from? And how did they get to where they are now? Yeah. Someone invested in them at an early stage. Someone put in 20 grand. Someone put in 50 grand. Someone believed in their early stage concept and said, here's $100,000. Go do the development you need to do. Go validate your idea. Go get your first customer. Go pay yourself a subsidized wage so that you don't go crazy and that you can stick at it. Someone believed in them. And that person ordinarily, is probably experiencing a 30 to 40 to 50x return right now. And we don't even know what their name is, but that yes. person exists and they play an important role in the process. And that we want more of those people. So we need to show people how to, how to be that person in the equation because everyone knows who the, the rock star founder is. Everyone knows who the venture capital firm is. Yeah. Everyone knows maybe who the podcaster is, <laughs> but no one knows who the angel investor is, but their role is arguably the most important because if they didn't believe in that business and that founder at the beginning, nothing else would have happened. Beautiful point. Beautiful. Yeah, Thank yeah, you so much. True. On that. That's so true. <laughs> and I think you gave an example of Canva and I've seen that they've grown a lot in the last couple of years. And that goes to my next question that I'm sure you've seen a lot of entrepreneurs. So which one has influenced you the most and why? 
Great question, Avi. I am a bit of a patriot at heart, so I do gravitate to Melanie Perkins from Canva. Um, I would say that she's particularly uh, important to reference because I've spoken and interviewed many people. Like I've interviewed a guy in Silicon Valley two weeks ago who interviewed her. And I said to him, I said, mate, what is it about her and her business? And he said, well, to be honest, dealing with her team and dealing with her people, when I went through the process of securing her as a guest, talking to her, he said was, it blew his mind. It was exceptional. He said that indicated to me that that business in particular has extremely strong leadership and excellent culture because every person, every touch point and person that he dealt with in the process was consistent, bought in and of the same, same belief and, and nature. And that told him that that business has something special going on over there. Um, on, a, on a personal level, um, I like the, the entrepreneurs who are less sexy. So the mm -hmm. ones that maybe are in an industry or a business that's pretty boring and plain and not very um, marketable, but have actually had huge success mm -hmm. from following a playbook and following principles. And um, often they're the people that don't get served up in your LinkedIn feed straight away. Mm. Um, but they're the people that you quickly learn and hear through other people that yeah. are actually uh, doing, doing well. Uh, and that's a challenge as we all know, because we get served up so many people online that tell us they're a guru and they've had huge success. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say Melanie Perkins for sure, because it's just such a, an amazing business and to see yeah. how many times mm -hmm. she had to pitch her business and how many times she had to change her deck and the process she went through to raise, but also just to see the problem she's solving. Like when you break it down, um, making graphic design accessible for everyone and empowering people to have yeah. better design and timing with Instagram and social media taking off. It's been amazing to watch. Absolutely amazing and, and can't agree more then. That that's leaves us to another question. You have seen many, many failures in, in the entrepreneurship world. Uh, I've, I've seen your interviews as well. I've written articles around it. So what resonated you the most or the biggest ever failure which you felt um, in, in your journey so far? Well, so business-wise, my biggest failure was I left a, a, you know, a, a high, highly um, powered sales and marketing position at a company and naively thought that I can do this. I can start a digital agency. Mm. Um, and I know heaps of people, so I can get some clients initially and, and the, the rest will work itself out. Mm. And I quickly realized that by starting a business based upon my network alone was good, but it wasn't enough. And I quickly fell into the trap of being a me too agency. So I did a little bit of web design, Mm. I did a little bit of SEO. I did a little bit of Google AdWords, but I wasn't really good at any of them. Yeah. Um, and quickly realized that reputation and network alone wasn't going to hang on to my clients. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So my learning from that, um, that wrapping up that business was to then pivot to doing something more niched mm. and having the, having the courage to realize that going into a niche category is not going to mean you'll make less or you'll have less opportunity. Mm. You've just got to do more work on yourself to be an expert mm. and the leader in that niche. 
Mm. Um, yeah, so that's, that's probably my biggest mistake uh, business-wise. I reckon one of my biggest, I wouldn't say mistake, but challenges in my personal life would be that when I was 17, I went on the first season of Australian Idol. Oh, and I got all the way to the you know, semi-finals and I, I was alongside Guy Sebastian and Shannon Noll. Oh my goodness, I didn't know that. Mm. I, well, it was a long time ago, 2003. But I was 17 and I'd spent my life and career uh, working in film and television. And because I'd worked so much up until that age, I hadn't really developed my craft um, because I hadn't needed to because I was being booked for film and television and, and getting work. And um, I didn't have an appreciation for the work that goes into really developing your craft as a method actor yeah. and also as a, a robust kind of um, musical theatre performer. Mm. And potentially, I may have missed an opportunity, um, not knowing what I know now at a younger age, to really take the profession seriously. Yeah. Um, it's given me a lot of joy, um, ha having learnt and worked as a singer and an actor, to the point where I've got a wedding band on the weekend. So you guys yeah. mentioned wedding singer at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a creative outlet on a weekend, which is a brilliant balance. Yep. Um, but one regret would be that I didn't respect the craft early enough yep. to really delve deeper into developing it um, because that industry in particular mm. does unfortunately have a bit of a time expiry on age. Mm. And uh, mm. <laughs> obviously I don't have the, the luxury mm. as I did, you know, 10, 15 years ago to really go hard at trying to be an actor. Mm. So um, I can imagine be, that for sure. I can, yeah. I, I can 100% imagine what you're talking about. I think identification of a, of a skill early on in their life will eventually uh, make people reach their success early. So that leaves us to the next question. Did someone point you that mistake or uh, was it a, was it a, you know, a late realization, meaning that do you have any mentors and how, what is the role of a mentor? Yeah. Well, I'm still very early on my journey of, of learning and developing all of this. Right. But, um, I would say my best mentor I've found has always come from um, either a sounding board with my wife or <laughs> from, from reading, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I'd love to be able to say to you guys and to your audience and to your listeners that I have two or three go-to mentors that are people, you know, obviously it goes without saying that my, um, my, uh, my manager or the, the managing director of C2 Peter Terrell, who I came, I came to see to, to work with and for yep. definitely a mentor. And that, you know, if you can find that and it's very difficult, but if you can find that in your, your manager and you can get, get to a level where you can collaborate, it is brilliant because being able to collaborate with someone who oversees the leadership and the vision of the overall business is, is a real luxury. Yep. So that's definitely one point, but I would say I read uh, over the Christmas holidays, think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Your listeners would know this book. It's yeah. been around since the 1940s. Um, and it challenged me to set a 10-year goal for myself and my family. Mm. And, so, um, and so I did that. And so what that's done is it's given me a bit more comfort around where I am now mm. and what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis, but also having something locked in 10 years to where I'm, I'm working towards being. And so the book really has been a mentor for me, I would say. 
I think it's, I mean, there are many, many people saying that. Uh, I recently was uh, listening to Jay Shetty interviewing Damon Johnny. was exactly the same, uh, saying the same thing, Napoleon Hill. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it stands the test of time. I mean, it forces you to have, you know, it forces you to do the exercise that you guys would know around having a vision board. It forces you to do the exercise of trying to in, indoctrinate your uh, mm. subconscious mind into your conscious. Mm. So it forces you to do exercises around, you know, repeatedly verbalizing what you want. Mm. So there's a lot of principles and exercises in that book um, that are like you can deploy in your life. Yeah. So it's the type of book that um, you deliberately would reread chapters or you would go back to do an exercise. It's more of a manual. Yeah. Validate your thoughts every now and then and and see see the applicability of it and, so mm. last, last thoughts on the mentoring around um, if I'm a founder mm-hmm. uh, or an aspiring entrepreneur, so how do I find my mentor and how, is there any yep. uh, specific way to do it? Well, it's easier now because you'll find people on LinkedIn that have the title in their, in their job title description of what they do. Do you trust all but, of them? Oh, <laughs> clearly not. However, yeah. I'll give you an example, right? Last year, I identified personally that I wanted to secure uh, five opportunities to speak in public. So Mm. either paid or non-paid in public. And I actually thought, you know what? I'm actually going to put this out there to the network. So I did a post on LinkedIn Mm. and I said, I'm looking to secure, you know, more public speaking this year. I've set a goal for myself. Who can help me? And then within four weeks, I presented to a master's of engineering class at Deakin University. And I took a photo of me, me and the, the lecturer and the, and, the, and the students, the 100 students um, standing there with their hands up. And I said, you know, the universe delivers. And I would say so that the, 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 the idea there would be uh, make it known to your network, but do it on LinkedIn as well. Do a post and say, I want, I need, I want someone to... Can someone recommend me? Beautiful. I'd love a mentor who can. Beautiful. Like, why not? That that that's powerful. Mm. And if someone and making it more specific. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So one of the questions which is very popular at Trace in so many of the startup forums is that how do you find a mentor in a specific industry? Like, you want to start a food truck business or whatever. Like, a lot of mentors, but how do you reach out to the one that can actually help you? So. Let's say, for example, you want to find a mentor in the food truck business. Um, I would challenge that person to mm-hmm. think rather than finding someone who's had success growing, scaling and exiting a food truck business, what other businesses mm-hmm. are similar to a food truck business mm. or what other businesses service the same customer? So we talk about in sales when we're trying to generate referrals, who's got our customer before us? So if we were to look at the example of um, a catering business, um, they've obviously, they're dealing with uh, customers who buy the food, but they're also dealing with uh, customers who would employ them to cater their events. Mm. Uh, And at at an event, you've got an event manager who's going to be working with providers who provide everything from the marquee to the staging, to the entertainment, to the security, uh, to the guests. So um, where am I going with this? 
I'm trying to help people join the dots quickly to think you just don't need, you just don't need a mentor for food truck business because they need to be a food truck person. You could find someone yep. who's working in a similar, uh, with a similar customer. Got it. Um, okay. Yeah. If that makes sense. I hope that yeah. does. It does. It yeah, does. Absolutely. So I think we need to talk about our current circumstances uh, because of COVID. There's a huge impact on jobs, on small business and economy. What yep. advice do you have for working professionals and startups in the current circumstances? Well, everyone's circumstance is different. So it goes without saying, get somewhere where you can get a steady internet connection and not be interrupted <laughs> by the kids. Yeah. But, <laughs> My personal view, guys, and you would attest to this, is um, if you haven't got, if you've got an entrepreneurial bone in your body, just one, then you should at least be doing something weekly that is contributing to getting that going. Like, Madhu, I know how hard you work in a full-time capacity. Thank you, man. But then, but then ordinarily, some people like you wouldn't do endeavors like this. You know, you're starting a podcast you've probably got business interests. You're probably collaborating with others. You're assisting other people. You might be mentoring a person or two. You know, what other ways are you giving back or getting involved so that you can create yourself a second and third income stream? So, you know, it's been a challenge for me that I haven't had my secondary income stream of my wedding band because weddings have been on hold during mm -hmm. coronavirus. So people, mm -hmm. I can't actually go and sing at someone's wedding because you can't have more than five people there. So Absolutely. that provides a challenge for me. And I, I would say the best example in that scenario is I've got a friend who owns about four um, venues called Piano Bar. Mm. And they're obviously a, a huge business that relies upon clientele coming in physically and buying food and drink and having a sing along and having a good time. So all they've been able to do during these times is pivot to being a, an experienced business rather than a hospitality business. Mm. And they've been streaming live to Facebook every night a two hour show with a variety of performers and they've introduced the ability to have a virtual tip jar into mm. the Facebook page. Yeah. So people can tip when they request a song, but they've focused on giving an, an optimal experience to their audience virtually knowing yeah. that when we come out of this, they'll have even more loyal and more engaged customers who frequent their business and beyond. I think this will create a recall value as well. And they'll be the first one to be remembered once we come out of COVID. So there's yeah. an example, isn't it? During COVID where a business has prioritized absolutely loving and taking care of their existing customers, getting to know them intimately, finding out what they love, what they hate, making a real effort one for one to improve their experience, not worrying about new customers, just do everything you can to make that existing customer not leave, don't go anywhere, get to know them more and more and take the opportunity to learn what would be an optimal experience for them ongoing. Mm. I think we can go on and on with examples of people <laughs> and the businesses who are trying to innovate in this uh, uh, pandemic uh, time. And Zoom is another example that I can definitely think of. And we have never thought about Zoom and, and it's uh, skyrocketing growth uh, without the pandemic, to be honest. And I also see some of the trends around robotics and AI getting an eye on, especially now. Are there any other trends that you are also seeing from your interactions with other entrepreneurs? Yes. 
So as I was saying, the opportunities now really come down to you, the founder, and it starts with you. So a great example would be in a pandemic, obviously Uber Eats, Deliveroo, Deliveroo Menulog, they're all going to be up on business and they're all going to be delivering food in plastic containers. One question you could ask yourself in your experience when you order your Uber Eats is, where does all the additional plastic containers go now? How do we all of a sudden have more space to recycle and get rid of this abundance of plastic containers from our food? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's a solu- where, where could we take an opportunity to make that a better experience? How could we capitalize on that? What business could we start out of the fact that we have an abundance now and know where to put it and it's bad for the environment? Yeah. Who can take advantage the quickest of that problem? Another would be, um, I don't know if you've seen recently, but the Zoom backgrounds that people use are pretty crap. And it gets a bit annoying when you move your head and you see this space behind. Who's coming up with a solution to make a Zoom background for yourself quickly and easily? Or who's come up with a solution to have a really cool, engaging background beyond what's available right now? Who can do that for businesses and help them uh, advertise themselves better? Who's thinking of that? Yeah, Teams, definitely Microsoft Teams is doing it, to be honest. And they've got some uh, virtual background or a classroom where, you know, they've got people who can uh, sit together uh, in a room and they'll be talking. So it gets that feel. And I'm so excited with Microsoft Teams as well, to be honest. Well, there you go. But just another example of see how that just starts with you, the founder. So what's happening right now, what's trending, look, look to your own experience. Everyone's is different, but you're all experiencing interactions with products and services on a daily basis where we have a subpar experience. Not everything we do is pleasurable. A lot of it is painful, annoying, and not to the standard we'd like. So who's doing work now in improving the ability for voice commands and voice technology? Series, no good. It's shocking, right? But who... Who's working in that space or who's got a solution that can improve people's ability to interact better in that manner? All these things are happening as a result of where we are now. Your experience is different to mine, but don't worry about having to come up with an idea that's hugely scalable and will lead to billions in revenue. Just solve a problem that exists in your day-to-day life. It's the quickest way to validate if something exists. And that's what Canva did. They realized that not everyone has Adobe Illustrator. And not everyone has InDesign. Not everyone knows how to design amazing graphics. Yeah. Everything so they, comes up with a cost too, to be honest. There you go. Mm. Start small, take away the pain. Where you've stopped is when you've watched an episode of Shark Tank and you thought, wow, that's all too complicated. I'm here to tell you that it doesn't have to be. Now, okay. we're entering uncharted territory. No one's doing what we're doing. No one's putting their hand up and saying, We'll give you the playbook. We'll show you how to be an angel investor. So if anyone listening is considering becoming an angel but doesn't know how, go to c2angels.com. That's c2angels.com and book a discovery call with our team today. 25 minutes you'll find out if angel investing is for you or not. And wouldn't you feel better getting a yes or a no than not being sure either way? So that's, that's what I'd recommend. Do that. At least you'll know if you're a good fit to be an angel investor or not. Lovely answer. Thank you so much for being with us, Brandon.